This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College. Join them for two weeks digging up dinosaur bones from the Jurassic period in Northwest Colorado this summer. For details, go to cncc.edu slash dinodig. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello and welcome to I Know Dino. I'm Garrett. And I'm Sabrina. This week, our dinosaur of the day is Ocasaurus. We have a bunch of dinosaur news, and we'd like to give a really big thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. In particular, this week, we'd like to thank our patrons at the $5 level, Chris, Nicholas, and Kyle and Betsy. Thank you guys so much. It really helps us keep our podcast going and pay for our hosting fees and all that kind of stuff. So jumping right into the news, we've talked quite a bit about how a massive impact likely wiped out the dinosaurs, possibly in conjunction with some volcanic eruptions or something similar, and in particular how a cloud of ash could have blocked out the sun, stopping photosynthesis and collapsing the ecosystems from the herbivores up. But there's a new paper with the awesome title, Baby It's Cold Outside, Climate Model Simulations of the Effects of the Asteroid Impact at the End of the Cretaceous. So really just an awesome title beginning, maybe. But (laughs) (laughs) it's in Geophysical Research Letters, and they were looking to another effect of the massive impact than the ash that was kicked up. So specifically, the impact is believed to have caused a massive ejection of sulfate aerosols into the upper atmosphere. But that hadn't really been quantified into what kind of effects that would have had over a long term on Earth. So that's what they did. And aerosols in the upper atmosphere basically have the opposite effect of carbon dioxide. So rather than trapping the sun's radiation, they reflect it, which leads to global cooling. And you actually see this with volcanism in general because there's a lot of sulfur that comes out during volcanism. And if there's a large volcanic event, the Earth can cool down a little bit. So if you imagine a massive impact releasing tons and tons of sulfur, you could expect that there might be quite a bit more cooling. Baby, it's cold outside. (laughs) Just in time. (laughs) I was trying to remember the melody. Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds kind of creepy. But (laughs) in this article, the main focus of the research is how much and for how long the Earth would have cooled. The results are very sensitive to how long the aerosols would stay in the upper atmosphere, so they gave a range of estimates. And in all the cases, we start with a global average temperature of about 19 degrees Celsius or 66 degrees Fahrenheit. And in every case, the temperature dropped below freezing basically on the entire planet on land for several years. So that's quite a shift in climate. 
And at the lower end of their predictions, they saw three straight years of rapid cooling before it started warming back up at all. And two years were spent below freezing, reaching a minimum average temperature of negative eight degrees Celsius or 18 degrees Fahrenheit. And that wasn't just like for a day, you know, that was for months. So pretty cold. And then the worst case scenario where the aerosol residence time in the upper atmosphere was quite a bit longer, they found that there would have been nine straight years of cooling, 16 years below freezing, and of a minimum average temperature below negative 13 degrees Celsius or nine degrees Fahrenheit that lasted for about eight years. Oh, I thought Minnesota was cold. Yeah. Well, it does get colder than that. <laughs> not, all, not all the time. <laughs> not for eight years straight. Yeah. So on top of the freakishly cold temperatures, the fluctuation in sea temperatures may have caused a toxic algae bloom, which obviously is not great for the survival of a lot of herbivores and anything that drinks water, actually. And although some carbon dioxide may have been emitted by the impact and possibly lessened the effect by a few degrees, that wouldn't have helped much because you're talking about a few degrees versus... 27 or more degrees. So they made a really great video showing the change in temperature that we have a link to. So you should check it out and you can see like as soon as the impact happens, it starts cooling and you see these big blue areas start to take over the planet and looks pretty nasty. But I think it's a really interesting study because it kind of answers some of the questions that I was asking Sean Gulick about with regards to, well, how did that wipe out some animals and not others? And you could imagine, well, maybe birds that could fly to some island that was a little bit warmer since the sea temperature stayed a little bit warmer. Maybe they could have survived, whereas dinosaurs that were stuck in these different areas without much food and with freezing temperatures may not have been able to survive. So it's a pretty interesting study. I'll be excited to see if there are any new updates to this and if they can refine that estimate a little bit about how long it was really cold. We also have a piece of news that is about some pterosaurs, and we usually don't talk about them since they're not dinosaurs. But in this case, there's a link, but I don't want to spoil it, so you'll find out later. In the Cretaceous, <laughs> there's a large chunk of Romania that used to be an island called Hateg, and on it was an Asdarkid called Hazteg Opteryx. If you don't remember Asdarkids, because I didn't know what they were before either, they're basically like Quetzalcoatlus and these other huge pterosaurs. So this one in particular that was recently found seemed to have a beefier neck than some of the other <laughs> Asdarkids. Asdarkid on steroids? Yeah. So they wanted to see just how powerful it would have been as a predator and ultimately, they ended up showing that it had an even stronger, although maybe slightly shorter neck than previously thought. And it would have been shorter than a giraffe, although kind of in a similar posture, potentially, given its quadrupedal stance on land. You know, they kind of walked on their hands that were halfway down their wings and then their hind feet. And then with their strong, powerful neck and big, powerful skull, it has the potential to have been the apex predator on Hateg Island, meaning that within Europe, some of the islands may have been dominated by pterosaurs and not dinosaurs. Interesting. Yeah. I thought that was kind of cool. 
Next, the Utah Raptor Project in Utah is still in need of funding. This is according to the Daily Herald. And we've talked about the Utah Raptor Project before. If you don't remember, uh, they found this nine-ton block of rock with a bunch of Utah Raptor fossils, all different ages. And that was found a few years ago. But funding for the project was cut and then work was stopped on the project in the summer of 2015. So to help keep things going, the lead preparer, Scott Madsen, launched a GoFundMe page. And so far, they've raised about $7,300, but the goal is $100,000, so still a ways to go. And according to the article, having corporate sponsorships would really go a long way. So I hope they find somebody soon who can help them out. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really interesting project. And I'm sure we could learn a ton from that block. Mm Mm-hmm. Plus, Utah raptors are just cool dinosaurs. Yeah, they're basically the velociraptor from Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Except, you know, they should have a ton of feathers. But other than <laughs> that. <laughs> Next, the Denver Post reported on a protest in Jefferson County against a developer's rezoning request that would allow a lot of buildings next to Dinosaur Ridge. And Dinosaur Ridge has a lot of dinosaur tracks and bones. It's also near a major highway. About 100 people, some in dinosaur costumes, and not just the T-Rex costumes that we've been seeing. It was a variety of costumes. Yeah, some of them look kind of like mascots or something. Yeah, it's pretty (laughs) cool. But they showed up to protest the rezoning, and if the rezoning happens, this will lead to the development of four car dealerships, a hotel, and offices. Ironically, the company requesting the rezone is called Three Dinos. (laughs) That is funny. Yeah. Next, Arkansas is looking to get an official dinosaur, Arkansas Friday Eye, according to KATV. And we've talked about this story before, too. And if you don't remember, a high schooler led a campaign for Arkansas. But now they've got State Senator Larry Teague from Nashville and State Representative Greg Lading from Fayetteville are now sponsors of the legislation to make this a reality. So hopefully that happens soon. I'm a fan when states... Adopt dinosaurs as their official dinosaur. Yeah. Yeah, that's always cool. It's even better when dinosaurs are the official fossil, but I'll take just an official dinosaur. Yeah. The Cuban Digital Library of Geosciences, which contains information about paleontology in Cuba, has been updated. According to Red Ciencia, there's 5,600 bibliographical references 2,900 of them are digitized, and they have information dated as far back as 1,500. So... Obviously, it's not all paleontology related, but there's a lot of information in there, and it's cool that you can access it. Yeah. Next, Hillsdale College in Michigan is getting a dinosaur, Linda the Edmontosaurus. And Dr. Anthony Swinehart and his students found Linda on a dig in South Dakota, according to Hillsdale Daily News. A woman named Darla Roberts, who often helps out small museums, donated to the school so they could afford Linda. And Linda's named after the woman who discovered the skeleton. So Linda, the Edmontosaurus, is about 40% complete and can be seen at the Daniel M. Fisk Museum, specifically the Strosacker Science Center, room 214. There you go. So if you're in Michigan, maybe you can go visit Linda. Maybe. I feel like we don't hear about dinosaurs as often in Michigan. No. As other surrounding states. Yeah, definitely not. I don't think they had much. So there's a reason to go. (laughs) 
Next, a new exhibition called Raising Horizons features important women in science. This is reported by the Evening Standard. So photographer Leonora Saunders teamed up with the geoscientist group Trailblazers to highlight 14 females. And the exhibition includes a portrait of Mary Anning, recreated using Dr. Lorna Steele, a curator and dinosaur expert, as the model. The other 13 contemporary women all posed in the, quote, period clothing of an important female scientist, end quote. And you can see the exhibition at Burlington House in the UK starting February 1st, which sounds pretty awesome. Next, the American Museum of Natural History is getting a 235,000 square foot expansion, according to Business Insider. The museum has been around since the 1870s, and to celebrate its roughly 150th birthday, the board approved the $340 million expansion. The addition will be called the Richard Gilder Center for Science, Education, and Innovation, and it will focus on education and have labs and a research collection, and the entrance will be next to Theodore Roosevelt Park. The addition should be finished in 2020. It doesn't look like they're planning on adding any dinosaur-specific things, at least in the beginning, but who knows, maybe eventually. Yeah, that would be nice. Yeah, most of the stuff looked like very modern stuff, like insects and butterflies and things like that. Mm-hmm. But maybe they can move some insect stuff out of other parts of the museum and make more room for dinosaurs there. Maybe. <laughs> the dinosaurs are already taking up a good chunk of the museum. They could, there's always more. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, and we know they have in their archives. Yeah, they have a lot in the collections. Next, for 185,000 pounds... You can purchase Horace the Dinosaur along with his home, which is a country pub in the UK. It's kind of a sad story behind it. So apparently last September, raiders beat up the people working in the pub in a knife point robbery and then tried to set fire to the building. This was like attempted murder. And now the pub is for sale. It actually never reopened since that incident. Hmm. So the sale supposedly includes Horace who is a large fiberglass sauropod that lives in the pub's garden. And Horace has lived there for 20 years. Yeah, maybe somebody with some big, strong bartenders can buy it and help protect Horace in the bar. (laughs) Maybe, yeah. Hopefully nothing like that happens again. Yeah. Next up, there's a new documentary on Colorado's dinosaurs that aired on PBS and can be watched online called Colorado Experience Dinosaurs. (laughs) Mm-hmm. It features Bruce Schumacher from the U.S. Forest Service, who we got a chance to meet at SVP, and he gives a great overview of the Dinosaur Highway Trackway, which is a possible migration site of a ton of sauropods, and it's this huge, awesome field of trackways, and it also has some carnivore tracks in it, so it's a pretty interesting site. It also has one of the better visualizations of continents moving that I've seen, kind of, you know, where they moved throughout the Mesozoic and up to modern day. And then there's also a good description of how the Bone Wars got to Colorado and kind of started drawing attention to Colorado for some of the dinosaur finds. And then it kind of ends with a lot of information about Stegosaurus, which is Colorado's state fossil. That makes Speaking sense. of state fossils, yeah. <laughs> so if you're from Colorado, I think it would be a really cool documentary to watch and get some of the local information about dinosaurs in the area. Definitely. Next, people are petitioning to bring back the sitcom Dinosaurs, according to Refinery29. I'm pretty excited about this. So last I checked, they had more than 18,000 people sign the petition on change.org, and it looked like it was gaining momentum. (laughs) 
Who are they petitioning? They're going to send it out to uh, ABC or Disney or... Whoever owned these puppets like 20-something years ago? I think it was on ABC and Disney owns ABC, so... Okay. I wonder if any of the creators are even around or still in the TV industry or anything. If you have enough people who show interest, they might bring it back. Just find a way. Because there's so much nostalgia TV coming back. That's true. And then uh, one example in the article is Veronica Mars started like a movie or continuation of the show because they had so many fans asking for it. So they started a Kickstarter and then they raised enough money and they did it. Next up, there's a trailer for My Pet Dinosaur that just got released. And we talked about it in the list of dinosaur movies that are coming out this year. From the trailer, it looks like a typical misfit boy finds a new friend story, and the dinosaur starts out cute and tiny, but quickly grows, and of course the military is not okay with an animal roaming free, so then, you know, they all have to run away and hide and everything. (laughs) Oh, where can it hide if it's so big? I don't know. I can't really figure out what kind of dinosaur they're trying to make it look like. It kind of looks like a ceratopsian because it has a sort of frill ornamentation on the back of its head, but it doesn't actually have a frill and it kind of has a beak like a ceratopsian. But then it also has a big back sail, kind of like a Dimetrodon, (laughs) which isn't a dinosaur. A weird mix. And then it also had this dragony look. Yeah. I don't know why they didn't just pick some dinosaur that actually exists, but... I think they're using the word dinosaur a little bit liberally there. (laughs) So the movie is scheduled for release on March 30th in Australia, and the production company is apparently trying to find a European distributor, but there's no word on a release in the U.S. The director also made the movie Dinosaur Island, which got pretty terrible reviews when it was released in 2014, but it's probably the most promising dinosaur movie of the year since there's no Jurassic World until 2018. <laughs> so, <laughs> Slim pickings. Yeah. I think it'll probably be okay. The CGI of the dinosaur at least looked pretty interesting. Yeah. Plus the picture I saw was cute. Yeah. Last, this one's pretty funny. According to Fortune, Hasbro is asking people to vote for eight tokens in the next Monopoly game. So there's 50 potential tokens, and one of them is a dinosaur, specifically a golden T-Rex. So you can go vote on votemonopoly.com, and you have until the end of the month. The results will be announced on March 19th, and then the new game will come out in August. Exciting. Mm Mm-hmm. We needed more versions of Monopoly. It's too bad they only have one dinosaur token option. Yeah. Well, we also have that Dinopoly game, which is just all dinosaur stuff. Yeah. They also had chicken and a penguin option, which I guess is kind of close. They're dinosaurs, sure. (laughs) (laughs) This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College, where you can become a part of the scientific process. As a participant, you can go on a real-life dinosaur dig, and you'll be helping to advance science and our understanding of the ancient world. What's really cool is that the fossilized bones that are being excavated, they're public, and they're going to be displayed and preserved for future generations to study and admire. Yeah, we've mentioned how that's a really important part of the scientific process, not just getting them out and describing them once, but keeping them and preserving them so that future questions and future scientists can take a look at those bones to answer new questions and validate results. 
And the site is special and also near and dear to me because it's in the Morrison Formation, known for the sauropods, Mm -hmm. of course, of the Jurassic time. And it represents one of the best bone beds ever found in the saltwash member. Yeah, the current interpretation is that the site was the result of a brachiosaurus sort of jamming up a river and then other carcasses piling up behind it. Oh, no. And that's how we got a bunch of different types of dinosaurs all fossilizing together. So, oh, no, but also, yay. (laughs) Good for us as scientists. Mm -hmm. And dinosaur enthusiasts. Yes. So there are two scheduled digs if you want to get involved with getting these bones out of the ground. You can go from July 6th to July 20th or from July 22nd to August 5th. Head over to cncc.edu slash dinodig. You'll get all of the details. Just make sure that you register online by May 31st. And again, that is cncc.edu slash dinodig, D-I-N-O-D-I-G. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And now on to our dinosaur of the day, Akasaurus, which was a request from Cole via Patreon, so thanks, Cole. Akasaurus was a medium-sized carnivorous theropod that lived in the late Cretaceous in what is now Argentina. It was found in a joint expedition in 1999 with the Museo Municipal Carmen Funes and the Natural History Museum of L.A. It was named in 2002 by Coria, Chiapi, and Dingus. The type species is Akasaurus. Garidoe. It was found in Acamahuevo, a Patagonian site where many sauropod eggs and embryos have been found, and the name Aka comes from the Mapuche language and refers to where it was found. The species name, Garidoe, is in honor of Alberto Garrido, who found the holotype. It's the most complete abelosaurid that has been described so far. Only the end of the tail is missing. Wow, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. And because... The specimen that was found is so complete, it helped clarify the postcranial anatomy of Carnotaurus and other abelosaurs. Yeah, it's super rare to find so much of a dinosaur like that. Yeah, and it, then it helps out so much. Yeah, and you fill in so many gaps. Mm-hmm. So it was related to Carnotaurus, but smaller. It was about 20 feet or 6.1 meters long, and it had low ridges above its eyes, not horns like Carnotaurus. It had small arms and only two fingers, the second and third digits, but they were short and they didn't have claws. It had a short, deep-snouted skull. The skull that was found is damaged, so that may be due to a fight before its death. And the skull damage probably came from another dinosaur. And the damage is limited to just the skull, so it probably was attacked. Brutal way to die. Yeah. The attack could have been by fighting... A large herbivore, or fighting over food or territory, or even attempted cannibalism, like the abelosaurid majungasaurus may have done. It probably died from its skull injury, not surprising. Where the fossils were found used to be a lake, so Akasaurus either was injured in the lake or walked to the lake with its injury and then sank to the bottom. Either way, because of that, terrestrial predators couldn't get to it, which is why it's so well preserved. So I guess in the end it all works out. For us, anyway. (laughs) Not so much for that dinosaur. No. Hopefully it was a quick death. Doesn't sound like (laughs) But hopefully. We have no way of knowing. (laughs) It's true. 
Anyway, you can see Ankosaurus in Dinosaur Planet, which is a 2003 documentary series where a Saltosaurus fell on top of it and crushed its skull. Oof. I guess that's one way of portraying that. Yeah. <laughs> you can also see Ankosaurus art on DeviantArt created by Jessica Noop, who created an Ankosaurus mother as part of a concept for Global Dinosaur Monument, a park on a small peninsula on the Australian coast. And we'll post a link so you can look at the pictures. They're pretty cool. And our fun fact of the day is that there are at least a couple accounts of mammals eating non-avian dinosaurs. And I was thinking about that because we had that pterosaur eating a dinosaur. So you wonder, did mammals ever do that? The first that was found, or maybe I should say potentially found because it's a little bit not 100% verified, was Delta Theridium eating an Archaeornithoides in present-day Mongolia. So the mammal, Delta Theridium, was weasel-sized at half a foot or about 15 centimeters long. The evidence isn't great, though, like I mentioned, because basically there's a partial Archaeornithoides skull that was found with the appearance of having been chewed on or possibly eaten by the mammal. The teeth marks and the area seem to match. So it wasn't like found in the stomach. So it's not great evidence. But then the second discovery of a Repenomammus with a Cetacosaurus found preserved in its stomach is obviously a much more obvious find. And yeah. I think Sabrina mentioned this when we were talking about Cetacosaurus. So the mammal was about two feet long and likely weighed between four and six kilograms or nine and 13 pounds. And it really looks a lot like an opossum. And it was a pretty similar size to an opossum too, which actually made this one of the largest mammals in the Mesozoic. So we didn't get so big back then. <laughs> in both cases, the dinosaurs were juveniles. So it's not really as simple as saying mammals feasting on dinosaurs it's really more like opportunistic mammals finding small dinosaurs to prey on gotta do what you gotta do yeah but really that kind of points to the complexity of you know biological systems it's not as simple as just like this one gets the biggest and therefore it always eats the smaller one opportunistic hunters can always find a juvenile here or there an extremely random other fact that i found while looking at opossums is that u.s president taft was celebrating his election and he ate a roasted opossum. He was replacing Teddy Roosevelt, who the teddy bear was named after. And so there was a brief attempt to make a quote-unquote Billy Possum <laughs> to replace the teddy bear. Oh, gosh. And That's not nearly as cute. No, it failed catastrophically. I think that they should have made a dinosaur stuffed animal instead, since in the early 1900s, all these dinosaurs were getting mounted in museums and stuff. Like they could have made a Taft Rex, maybe. I can't really think of anything else that's even remotely similar. This is quite the tangent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, a possum-like animal ate a dinosaur is the, the dinosaur fact buried in there. And there should have been a toy called Taft-Rex. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and it's all connected. It is. <laughs> and on that note, thanks for listening. If you enjoy hearing about dinosaurs every week from us, then please consider joining our growing community on Patreon at patreon.com slash I know dino. Thanks again, and until next time. Good day.